This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Darnall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, August 14th, 2021. Welcome back to the show. Darnall. Oh, I'm pumped. How was your week? <laughs> week has been miserable. We got a second taste of the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, so I just worked from home in a cool-ish room until the sun came around the other side of the building and turned my apartment into a sauna. That's been my week. Other than that, I, really uh, good. About you? I live about... 15 miles from an Air Force base right now. And I don't know if you guys can hear this, but one of the neat things living near an Air Force base uh, is that I get to hear people doing fighter plane engagements, faux fighter plane training exercises. So I've got sonic booms going over, or not booms, just, you know, the jet noises of them. Yeah, if they came down and rattled our windows, there'd be hell to pay. But yeah, jet noises going on all the time. So you were talking and introducing how your week had been, bad week, sauna, yada, yada. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if the, uh, if the audience can hear that jet <laughs> crawling towards the skies from the Air Force base. We get contrails all the time. It's great, great stuff. Uh, uh, all right, Je Jeffro's trying to flex on the pack Northwest here. Yeah, I know you lived here for a while, <laughs> but uh, we have legit heat wave, not at all unrelated to the massive wildfires in the West. Uh, we had another three days of 9,200 degree weather. And the smoke has created a greenhouse effect. Uh, the past couple of days were absolutely brutal. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. It gets to 80 degrees and people start crying. Um, so before we get to our guest, uh, I've watched something this week. Mm-hmm. I watched a show called Black Summer, uh, and I've already done a review of the first season, so I want to do a tiny little pocket review of the second season. Capsule Did you ever review. remember? Do you ever remember the two of us talking about action movies? And I said uh, that I really liked modern action movies because of how like fast they do their cuts and stuff, and it makes it. Uh, you know, it's just more to my taste than some of the stuff from the 50s and 60s that seem really, really slow now. Sure. I, I remember being on yeah. the other side of that discussion, but go Yeah, ahead. you were on the other side of that discussion. I, I finally found a show that's cut too fast for me. Oh, really? It is so frenetic and confusing. <laughs> that I just can't take it anymore. This show was shot, at least the first three episodes, was shot in chronological order. 
And then they took it and chopped it up into like 90 second segments, mixed them in random order, and laid out the first three episodes from it. Oh boy. Really? Random order. Okay, I cannot stress that enough. Random order. To where you will get 30 seconds of something happening that you have no idea what the hell is going on. And then at the beginning of the second episode, you're expected to remember what the hell happened as they tell you the backstory that led up to what happened. There was this one segment it's a zombie show. Just just putting that out there. In case you people are shocked, Daddy Warpig <laughs> watched a zombie TV show. Live with it. Grown. Um, they did a lot. Zombies do. I mean, had some cool stuff in the series. There was cool and unusual stuff in there that I've never seen in any zombie movie or show, which, you know, is... Or at least in not many, which, uh, you know, speaks well. They're still trying to innovate. This guy is trudging through deep snow with a zombie fairly close behind him. He gets up to a fence, crawls through this, uh, you know, crawls through this barbed wire fence. Somebody from the house he's crawling for shoots the zombie right behind him as it's crawling on him. He's trying to kick it in the head, and it dies. Sorry, this is technically a spoiler, but it came out a month ago on Netflix, so you don't care. And the statute of limitations for streaming TV shows has expired anyway. Mm-hmm. It's a month now, folks. Technically, actually, it's nothing. Nothing. You don't get any statute of limitations on streaming TV shows nowadays. That uh, went away in 2020. That's why I have to watch my Disney streaming or whatever uh, immediately because people are talking about it now. During the actual show, they're tweeting out spoilers. So, <clears throat> thanks, guys. So, anyways. Right after that, they shoot the guy and kill him. This is like almost the first scene of the entire series. They shoot the zombie, then they shoot the guy. So it's a uh, basically a shaggy dog story. You know, shaggy dog story, which is a story that has completely no point to it. Uh, or a shoot the shaggy dog story. Well, guess what they start off the second episode with? The backstory to that guy and how he came to be running from that zombie. And Hmm. you're watching this guy and the other guy who wasn't yet a zombie and they're friends and they're huddling in this uh, post office truck that got overturned. And they're talking about how long they've known each other and 
some of the friends they've lost away in the zombie apocalypse and and you know they're saying how much they care about each other and how much they're you know hope for escaping this bad situation and how the guy who was running away in the beginning was risking his neck to go out and get stuff and find medical supplies for his sick friend and all of that and i'm thinking why the hell are you showing me this? I know they both die. I know it. I know what happens. Why are you showing me this? I mean, literally, as a storytelling, you know, experience, What's the point? What the hell is going on? What am I supposed to be getting from this as a viewer? So this was not in many ways good storytelling. This was not storytelling that you want to emulate. It is frenetic, it is out of order, it is confusing. Um, and a lot of it is just nonsensical. It is difficult to tell why they made the choices they did in the storytelling that they did. And you just want to shake your head and, and, Get the hell out of there. Um, I don't know. I would not recommend people watch the series. Um, it is made by the same people who made Z Nation, the sixth season zombie TV show. Supposedly, it's the prequel to Z Nation, showing how Z Nation got set up, but the tone uh, and the zombie lore, I don't think really matches real well. I just think it's another show made by the same people. I don't think it's actually a prequel. Um, but I will be happy to be proven wrong if anybody comes up with evidence. Uh, I don't think also, anybody's going to bother. No one's going to waste their time on the show. Also, uh, I watched the first episode of Marvel's What If this week, um, which was What If Agent Carter, the dame in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, got injected with the super soldier serum. Uh, Marvel spent a lot of money on this show. It's got high animation production values. They brought back Chris Evans and the actress who plays Agent Carter and Stanley Tucci and uh, apparently 80 voice actors from the movies uh, through all the episodes to come back and reprise their roles for these animated shows. Uh, I just want to say they, uh, they came up with a good what-if moment where destiny diverges into a different timeline 
and they came up for a with a really clever way to get Steve Rogers involved in the war, even though he wasn't Captain America and he was still the skinny kid. Um, it was, uh, of course, it was rah rah girl power. Nazis are male chauvinists. In a few places, you just, it's unsurprising. That's it's current year. Of course, that's going to be there. Uh, I'm not saying that excuses it, but you knew it was going to be there. Uh, and it was, it was entertaining. Look, <clears throat> the one word that defines all the Marvel TV shows that have shown up in streaming on um, the Disney Plus streaming service is... Mediocre. And I don't mean mediocre by the standards of streaming services, because I've watched a lot of Netflix, and they're solidly a cut above most of your Netflix or much of your Netflix. I mean mediocre by the standards of Marvel. They are just a cut below the median level for Marvel movies, or maybe two cuts below that. Um this was better than most of the Marvel streaming TV shows. It was entertaining. There was, there was parts of it that were not plotted well. Um, but it was kind of a kick seeing uh, Howard Stark. Again, they got brought back the same actor to run the voice of Howard Stark. Howard Stark was there. That was pretty cool um, to see him doing cool things. They did not cut out all the men to make Agent Carter seem cool. They did not make all the men blithering incompetence to make Agent Carter seem cool. They had Dum Dum Dugan and the rest of the soldiers there, and they got moments of awesomeness. They had Bucky Barnes there, and he got moments of awesomeness. So the thing they've done with feminist heroes like Captain Marvel in the Marvel movies and in every woke movie is in order to make their female heroes look good, they have to make all the males in the movie or TV show or whatever look like idiots because the female characters can't stand on their own. This episode did not do that. Yes, it had rah-rah girl power, but it's about a woman becoming, you know, a super soldier. So you expect that, but it did not have... Men are suck and men are stupid and men are useless. It had a character, one brass general who sucked and was stupid. But, I mean, hell, that's what authority figures are for in adventure movies. That's what the teachers were for in Harry Potter. That's what the teachers are for in any children's book. Going back to when I was young. So I'd enjoy it, uh, depending on how terror trigger you are about those kinds of themes, you might not enjoy it. It was fun. I really, really like what they did with uh, Steve Rogers, and I loved the design of that thing. When you see it, you'll understand what I mean. I thought it was a kick-ass design, and look out for the battle against the uh uh Verm uh not Wehrmacht uh 
damn it, I've forgotten the word for the Nazi Air Force. Luftwaffe. Goring's boys. Um, Luftwaffe. Luftwaffe. Dankeschön. Um, the Luftwaffe. Look for the battle against the Luftwaffe, because uh, that's pretty cool, too. Uh, Steve Rogers contributes a ton to the war effort, even though he didn't get to be Captain America, which I think is a great comment that the entire point of Steve Rogers' character was his heart and his, uh, he was a fighting man even when he wasn't uh, a super soldier. And even though he isn't a super soldier in this show, they still let him be a fighting man. And I thought that nailed the character of Steve Rogers perfectly. So I, I'd give it a solid B, B plus. It was good, not great. Wow. That's it. Du I'm done. Double cap. I, I got one more capsule review for you. Uh, yeah. Thank you for thank you for letting me know that I don't want to watch anything on streaming services. Um, <laughs> but uh, I uh, I decided uh, we should do movies for date night last week, and I went and saw Jungle Cruise. And so this is going to be a real short review. Folks, when he says we, he does not mean we. Us. <laughs> yes, that 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 would be that would be me and the significant other. Yeah, uh, me and the girlfriend went uh, went to see Jungle Cruise. Uh, it was uh, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. But if you're wondering, is it a good movie? Should I watch it? Absolutely not. Uh, are Sorry. you going to get? <laughs> are you going to get a fun Indiana Jones experience adventure? Mm, kinda. Are you going to get? Uh, a, a supernatural tale as fun and compelling as Pirates of the Caribbean. No, maybe just maybe just put Pirates of the Caribbean in the DVD player. Uh, can The Rock continue to have absolutely no charisma despite being the most electrifying man in sports entertainment for years? Yes. Um, it's, there's a, it, like I said, it was a, it was a fine day night movie, had plenty of moments in it. Um, but, uh, the, the quality, the lack of quality is evident, especially if, if you've seen Indiana Jones or if you've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark and Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, this, this is a pale, pale imitation. Um, the, the writing is poor. The characterization are, is poor and or nonsensical. I, I hate to say it because I love The Rock as a wrestler, as I alluded to a minute ago. He he can't. It's just, he just doesn't work. He's not a great movie star. Uh, I and I can't explain how. Um, he's like any other big fun action heroes with a fun face, and he's got a great demeanor. And he just plays the rock in just about every movie, but for some reason it doesn't work. Uh, and the way they introduced the character, uh, this, you know, huckster jungle cruise operator who's, you know, master of the Amazon, right? Contrast that to the classic introduction. Remember the first time you saw Captain Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean? 
that's what I was hoping for. I was hoping for this amazing moment that was funny and tells you everything you need to know about the character. And their version of that uh, fell completely flat. So um, Judd Goswick says a jungle cruise looks like a huge ripoff of serials and African queen, not a homage or a love note. I'm going to put that up on screen. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was, I also thought about African queen. And uh, so I I was excited to see this just from the movie poster, like all the marketing and everything you could, you saw about the film makes you think that's what you're going to get. Uh, and unfortunately it was not executed competently. So that's a shame. Well, that's too bad. Yep. So what you're saying is if you're doing this as a date movie, it's a great movie to go see. If you want to go sit in the absolute back row of the movie theater. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say you're not going to have fun. I'm not going to say that that some of the, you know, some of the story and some of the characters aren't fun. Uh, Paul Giamatti cameo just for yucks, right? Um, that's just, it's it's just, dis, it's disposable is what it is. I think I sent that comment over his head, folks. <laughs> I noticed it, yes. All right. So we have a guest today. There's a third voice on the sound channel thing. There is. Do you Very want to introduce our to guest? Uh, I'd, I'll be glad to. We couldn't follow up a series on D&D &D without attracting the attention of the wise uh, Rick Stump uh, OG gamer for whom all of uh, this fifth edition internet nonsense is uh, is news to him, um, but uh, he's blogs at what is it Harbinger Games blogspot dot com. Oh, I remembered it. I'm good. good. Um, uh, it also means that I don't have notes in front of me, which makes me bad. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, uh, and and of course, uh, we love having you on because you've been a DM for years, and your your unique perspective is uh, valuable. But uh, you were you were listening to Jeffro's uh, great uh, conversation last week, and and you wanted to talk about that, but also you've Absolutely. got something you've got I, some stuff of your own brewing. Right. Technically right. I, I, speaking, yeah. Technically speaking, I think it was, and, and I'm just using a term of art here. This is an official phrase. I think it was Jeffro's self-aggrandizing rant. I would accept that as a description, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, no, I wanted to, what I want to talk about today is actually building on that, but I want to start talking about Jeffro. You know, I've known Jeffro from the internet for a long time now. Uh, we've been talking about role-playing games on Google Plus and everywhere else, MeWe and such for a long time. Um, and a matter of fact, I was talking to John about some of the comments Jeff and I exchanged years ago about this. Um, so he's coming in, and what he's doing with D&D is a lot like what he did with Appendix N, right? Let's take a look at this with fresh eyes. Uh, takes by who's if they've read any of this stuff, it's been a long time ago. Look at it anew, catalog what you're finding out, write that down so that people can learn from it, and that's that's really valuable. Um, this is not a humble brag or anything else. It's just, I started playing in 77 and I was from 
a family that was already embedded in wargaming. My father was a huge wargamer, uh, you know, Napoleonic figures. I read a vast amount of pulp literature, um, old literature. We had, you know, first edition signed copies of Marsoon books in my house, my dad had. Uh, we had books from the 16 and 1700s translated for the matter of France. So I was surrounded by this and I was part of the wargaming culture. So for me, moving into OD&D in 77 and then picking up and taking over AD&D in 79 was just a natural progression. I'd already read everything in Appendix N, although oddly enough, I didn't read any of the Lord of the Rings until I was 15. Um, so it had very little impact on my gaming or campaign because I'd already been playing and campaigning for quite some time before I even read it. Um, but he's doing the same thing now. I'm going to share a little anecdote. I was I didn't listen live. I listened to the podcast. I'm, I've got it playing. And Jeff was talking about one-to-one -one time, multiple players, multiple characters per player. You mix and match characters as the time comes up. And she's crocheting, and she looks up at me, and she goes, do you pause that? Make sure she goes, is that how you're supposed to do it? Am I missing something? I'm like, yeah, that's how you're supposed to do it. Okay. <laughs> and it was actually something where I had not realized people weren't doing this. They weren't aware that this is how it's supposed to be played. And we really needed Jeffro to sort of say, hey, what are we, we're missing something here. Uh, let's go back and look. And, and him go, coming through this has been really important uh, because it's helping me to realize that there's a lot more to be shared. There's a lot more sort of that culture to be captured and passed on. And he's going to continue doing what he's doing and making sure that people learn about this. But we have lost a lot. I was talking to John earlier. I feel like a lot of the culture and stuff that was taken for granted when D&D was brand spanking new has changed or just vanished. Um, the, a lot of some people in the Pulp Rev talk about how we just don't talk about the most popular literature of the 20th century. You know, Edgar Rice Burroughs, to this day, has still outsold anybody else in the 20th century. We don't talk about him, right? But he's essential to understand the literature that came after him, massively influential. And we're not even gonna start talking about dime novels or going all the way back to Gothic novels. Um, and heaven forfend, most people don't even know that the short novels of the medieval period even existed, let alone were wildly popular and heavily influential uh, on things like Ivanhoe and Lord of the Rings. Um, so having Jeffrey come in and do this sort of archaeology and anthropology on D&D has been really valuable. And it's really helping us all sort of recapture and uh, spread this culture that impacts a lot of other things. Um, and uh, that's one of the things I want to talk about now is continue down that path of talking about the culture. It's talking about what I call psychotronic gaming. Uh, psychotronic's a, a word that's been used in some countries to mean psychic powers or psionics or telepathy. It can also mean like weird, goofy stuff, but it, the way that I use it is the way that movie reviewers use it, which is in the shortest version, genre isn't what you think it is, okay? Genre has become a, a very confining phrase and I, I've been noticing this for years, like, well, you, can, you can't call it science fiction. It's, it's got fantasy in it, right? We've all heard that. Mm -hmm. Even in the 70s, well, Star Wars isn't science fiction. It can't be science fiction. The first is fantasy. It's, it's, so it's a fantasy novel. It's a fantasy movie, right? 
Or you'll see a fantasy movie like, well, they got lasers in it. Look at, you know, call, uh, Crawl can't be science fiction. They, they got lasers and stuff in it. And that's taking genre and, and inverting it. You're taking it from descriptive to prescriptive. The, the purpose of the genre is to make it easy to find something that you like, not to keep you from doing what you like. Does it make sense? Um, the analogy that I use is cars. If we treated cars the way we treat literary genres or role-playing genres, here's what would happen. You go up and you're like, hey, I want an electric car. Here you go. Here's an electric car. Leather seats, air conditioning, 97 speakers. It's got a massage function. It, it's so comfortable you don't want to get out of it to eat. Great. What kind of engine does it have in it? That's got a three-cylinder engine in it. Wait, why? Why? Well, it's an electric car. Okay, can I have a powerful engine that? No, it's not a sports car. What are you, crazy? This is an electric car. It's for luxury. Well, can I look at sports cars? Yeah, come over here. This one has got a V12 double turbocharged. It goes 0 to 60 in 4.2 top speed, 500 miles an hour. Can I get an air conditioner radio? What are you, stupid? This is a muscle car. It's not a luxury car. I mean, we'd think you were insane. But we talk about literature and role-playing games like that all the time, Right? Constantly. Sure. And it's the same sort of crazy concept. Well, it's got to be this. Um, so psychotronic is just accepting the fact that when I say I'm doing a fantasy role-playing game with D&D or a superhero role-playing game when I run my, because I've got a Champions game that's been going on for 12 years, or my travel campaign what is a science fiction campaign, that's a description, not a proscription, Right. Right. I, I get you. I, I love the distinction I, between I'm, descriptive and prescriptive. Right. I'm just saying where I'm focusing, not the only thing I can do. And this really allows you to open things up a great deal. Now, you know, I've sometimes this concept of player agency is sort of sailed over my head for a while. What, what are you talking about player agency? What's this talking about? Uh, and then talking to Jeff and some other people the last couple of months, I'm like, well, that's stupid. It's stupid. The way that you're supposed to be running this game is not the way that I see the modules for fifth edition working. My uh, oldest boy um, ran us through Dragon Heist in fifth edition. Oh, Lord. And we were talking about it, and he said, it's a video game. I'm like, go on. Well, here's the scene. When the players get here, this is where all the NPCs will be and what they're doing, and they have this much time in other words, if it takes you six weeks to get there, six hours to get there, six years to get there, when you arrive, that's what they're doing. They're all sitting there static waiting for you to arrive. You know? Um, another one was, there's going to be a chase across the rooftops. After this many rounds of chase, this is what's going to happen. Wait, what? And that makes any sense. Here's how I run <clears throat> the stuff in Seaward. Every person that plays within a short period of time has three to seven characters. Always has been that way since 79. And I have the NPCs and the factions, and I actually describe this in one of my blog posts. I start off the game year, you know, game year, year month one, day one. Okay, here's um, the, the most dangerous set they know of at this point, Baron Samedi. Here's his goals. Here's his sub-goals. This is how long it's going to take. Here's his plan to do X. Here's his plan to do Y. Here's his plan to do Z. And here's when these things are going to happen and where people are going to be going on. And I'll do that through all the good guy and bad guy NPCs. It takes me about a day. Wow. And then 
the characters, the people playing characters are, are telling me stuff like, you know, what are we hearing? We have rumors. We've got a spy here. We've got an agent here. We've got three merchant factors there. What are they telling us? I told them what these people would know. And then they have to just do whatever they want. Um, not too long ago, I even described, like I said, described this. The end of the year, this is what's going on. Well, the players, one group of adventurers want to go on the tourney circuit, which is basically this pro sports circuit of Seaward. It's five months of traveling around the entire kingdom doing joust and swords fights for glory. And there's a couple of players that have their characters do it every game year. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the Heath Ledger movie. It was similar to that one, but so far they've had a murder mystery take part of that. They've had political intrigue in the middle of that. They've had, uh, is the princess really kidnapped or is she running away from uh, a bad marriage plot? You know, there's always something else going on. And then another group is like, well, there's something going on. Well, we'll figure that out. And, and everybody sort of blew everything off. All the characters blew everything off. And then later in the year, we'll send the low-level party. We'll get a bunch of low-level guys and scout this out. And by the time they realized, holy moly, this orc chieftain is about to retrie retrieve the five items that would make him the king of all the orcs. So suddenly, the orcs have a unified leader and stop fighting each other. They literally had four game days to beat him to where it was going and stop it. Because they've been blowing it off, doing other stuff, and then they got so wrapped up in that that uh, a major plot happened. By the time it happened, like, oh no, he's done. He's built a fortress. He's raised an army. You're gonna have to go dig him out of a fortified encampment now. But several other things they stopped way early. Like, oh, the guy didn't even get the ingredients for the thing he was gonna make because they're like, hey, hold it, you're smuggling. Get rid of that. So it becomes very dynamic, and it's not up to me. It's not me saying. All right, well, we got the Orcish Overking plot. So I'm going to tell them, hey, the Orcish Overking thing is going on. So you guys need to go do this, this, and this with these players. Doesn't happen. They actually sent the wrong party the first time. They sent a bunch of third level guys who looked around and said, well, we are above our pay grade. So we're getting out of here and we're not coming back until this is fixed. And that happens a fair amount. I don't say, well, they're bringing their seventh level guys. It's going to be a seventh level threat. No, this threat is for eighth level people. Here's the rumors. They send some second level guys. Hopefully they catch on and get out of there. Right? So it's very dynamic. It's a lot like Jeffrey was talking. Um, I do very strict timekeeping. When nothing else is going on, you're not in the past, the present, the future. I have to do something else. You're in one-one time. We do a lot of away from the table discussions. We actually have a Discord server set up for the with 22 channels, one for each campaign or game that we play. And it's specifically for quote unquote downtime away from the table discussion. And it is very busy, constantly busy. People talking about, okay, I'm in training. I'm out for four weeks. Here's what's going on. This character is doing this. We're getting supplies. It's actually the, by being strict with encumbrance rations, distances, travel times, time for training, one-to-one -one time when nothing else is going on. We're actually at the point where recently one of the players in the game built a level in my mega dungeon. Yeah. Right? He went in, found a place he could do it, used magic and some dwarves of him a favor, and had a level created with secret tunnels going to key locations in the mountain. Why? Now he's got guards, a cleric, henchmen, water supplies, and food in the dungeon. So it's oh easier for the party to get to and from places. Goodness, right? I've always wanted to do that. Here's the thing. 
He's the third player to do it in the last 42 years. Wow. And we can top that. Every now and then they call them the Pearl Doors throughout the dungeon so far. They've encountered, okay, let's check a secret door. And it's an apartment where I had one character, player character from back in the day. And the player had this, we'd go in there with a liar of building. And he built, I think, 18 apartments all through the, the mega dungeon. So you'd be in the middle of like, at one point, they're in the middle of troll tunnels. And they're like, hey, this I've opened the way. says there's a secret door nearby. And I'm like, hey, there's an apartment here. What the heck? And that's the sort of impact they have on the system. And indeed, uh, get right on brass tacks. I mentioned Baron Samedi before. The players will tell you great length through your research. Baron Samedi is the direct result of player character actions back in the 80s. Right? Well, player characters did something she shouldn't have done, ran with it, ended up being the mother to a Cambion, and off we go to the races. Um, wow. And now that Cambion, game years later, is a supervillain and one of the biggest threats. Um, my wife's first character, she started playing with us 31 years ago when we were dating. Uh, her first character died of old age in the campaign. Doesn't kept strict time records, follow it through. A lot of the original characters, many of them have just died off because time goes up, goes by. I believe there's, a, uh, there's some dwarves and elves from the very first party that are still there. So. This, this uh, psychotronic is talking about this verisimilitude. You've got this natural progression. You know, I've had, I think, three players where they've ended up playing the children of one of their previous characters. Because they get married, they have a kid, time goes by, the kid grows up. Well, my old guy, my guy's aging out. I got to switch to the new guy over time. It makes so you wonder where, where those aging rules came from. And and. Uh, I was having a discussion. I got to I got to interrupt because that reminds me of a discussion go, go. I was just having last night with a friend who uh, wanted some clarification on what we were talking about with regards to one to one time. Um, and, and I can I can talk about that clarification later. But the idea that there's a bunch of rules, especially in AD and D, that made it to second edition, that didn't really make sense to us. Um, you're uh, you started playing in the 70s. I was born in 1980. And so second edition was the edition I began with. And there's sure, a bunch of stuff that it doesn't make sense. You're like, no, why? The example we used was like, why are there ever any save or die effects? Which got even worse in third edition because they, they cut out even more of those old school constructs and kept in the D&Disms such as, yeah, you know, here's a death ray. Uh, if you roll up, 14 or less, you you just die. You lose the character. Sure, and happens to, all the time. And to you people bet. like us, it's like, that, that doesn't make sense. Why would you even have a mechanic like that in the game? Uh, why is... But and if you, if you read the literature, you realize what's going on. When somebody hits you with a disintegration spell, it disintegrates you. The only reason you get a saving throw is because you're so hardcore, such a hero, you can get out of the way. That's what it means. It's well, certain yeah. death to anybody who's not a hero. You know, that's so. that, that, and that makes sense from a from a lore, I guess, point of view. But from the yeah. from the game mechanic point of view, if if you're supposed to have your party of of adventurers that yep. you adventure with every week, why is there a mechanic that just kills the character? Like that <clears> just makes you got people characters. Yeah, you got you're and, supposed and, to have more characters. You're supposed to have henchmen. One of the things that weirds me out, weirded me out when I got online, is okay, you got a paladin. How many henchmen do you have? I don't have any henchmen. Why don't you have any henchmen? You're supposed to have henchmen. 
they, they, their combat lines have, up, as a matter of fact, it was two or three sessions ago, one of my wife's oldest characters that's still active got dissolved in pro protoplasmic slime. And, oh, no. oh, that's okay. She got better. Uh, <laughs> but she immediately said, okay, well, I'm just moving to my paladin. And she just moved to her senior henchman and continued play for the rest of the night as her senior henchman. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons you have henchmen. If they hadn't been able to get her character back, well, this, this character is only two levels off. It's fine. When you've got seven characters, it's like, oh, I got level drained. It's not, oh, I got wiped out. It's like, well, no, that's okay. I'm a little weaker, but I, I can catch that back up. Sure. I just play twice as often. I'll be back up uh, with a group in, in no time. Because uh, it's just one of four or five guys. I just make sure I play them more. It just comes right back. Right? It's a lot less of a, <clears throat> excuse me, a huge blow when you're playing a stable and you're doing the jazz banding thing. Um, we even do something called hologramming. It's been a topic a lot on my Discord recently. And that's where, oh, I'm a brand new player. I'm coming in. I've only got a first little guy. And you guys are, well, I, I've got this program. Well, program, i got this flowchart I use, and I make you fifth level. And then you adventure as a fifth level guy with a couple magic items. And then a portion of your a portion of experience points goes back to your first level guy. So he's leveling up in the background until you catch up. Oh, yeah, interesting. You do all sorts, yeah, you can do all sorts of little tricks like that. To make sure that, oh, well, we've been playing 12 years and we've all got seven characters. I've been playing six weeks. i got a new guy. Well, we'll make three guys. We'll hologram two of them and we'll just move on. And then you can participate just like everybody else. Um, so that dynamic is there. That one, one time that, that Jeff was talking about, uh, I was as hardcore as he was back in 83 and 84. I have a slightly modified, I'm much more like the example that, guy, that Gary uses in the Dungeon Master's Guide now. But the difference between me and Jeffro was hair thin. Um, and all, one of the reasons I had to modify it was I was in the military and you just never knew when, like, oh, I'm, I can't talk to you for six months because I'm deployed, you know. Uh, so I changed things a little. But the other thing is, right now, let's talk about Hans, the world's strongest halfling, which is um, one of Jack's characters right now. Halfling fighter. Through... Adventures, misadventures, and magic. He's got an 18 double odd strength natural. Right? Mm -hmm. But his pride and joy is his steam-powered war moose. Love it. Love it. It can be folded down into basically a giant-sized carry-on baggage for an airplane. So you can fold it down and take him with him into dungeons or whatever. But when you unfold it and you put in a couple gallons of water, you've got 12 hours of War moves and the antlers are set up in such a way that there's a nice brace for your lance for charges, so you get a plus one to hit. And this is a natural follow-on. One of the very first villains back in '79 was a dwarf from Jotunheim. Therefore, he was a wizard who uh, befuddled the players on his steam-powered warhorse and his steam-powered long rifle. Um, because sure, it's a fantasy game. The defaults are fantasy. You get wizards, you get magic users, but you also have extra planar travel. You have uh, ships that can fly to the moons. The moons have atmosphere. Um, spoiler for my players that are listening: there's a space station deep out in space that we can go visit if you get the means, and that's awesome. perfectly fine because it's internally consistent. The secret, uh, what I consider the three most important things for my campaign to survive and keep going for now. It's actually 42 
years this week. It's very weird. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Um, have been my three my three concepts. Very similitude. Very similitude is it has to make internal sense. Um, you can then make predictions based on the internal rules of the world. I find that very important. Two, status quo is the enemy. Players have to be able to make permanent changes. And one of my favorite examples of that is I had this idea in my head, this big arc, uh, this, the big bad guy's got a lieutenant. Lieutenant's going to do this. He's going to kill a couple of them and take their bodies to hold those bodies hostages until he can get the MacGuffin. And when he has the MacGuffin, he'll give it to the boss. And then the high-level party will have to race against time to save the world. The lieutenant ambushed the mid-level party and got curb stomped. They just put him down, right? One of the most thrilling table adventures ever. Like, oh, here he comes. Uh, use every consumable magic item we have. Uh, light all the oil and let's just do it. And they took him. Glorious day. So I'm talking about this. A friend of mine goes, okay, so you can get a new lieutenant and do this again. I'm like, no, I'm going to get a new lieutenant. I'm going to cheat him. You don't have you know, maxed hit points, death knights with killer swords laying around. You're not, they won. Let them win. They stopped the end of the world at step one, not step five. They win. You let them win. Change things, you know. Um, putting a level goes back into... To the, well, I, I, I want to I address that. I think that goes back to the fundamental difference in perspective between uh, sort of old school players and new school players that um, the a newer player only knows a game where someone's crafted a cool story like uh or a you know this would be a great comic book or a or a cartoon or a tv show or something like that whereas when you spend enough time playing old school and you're strict about consequences and and, and player autonomy and player actions um you come to understand that a good story and often uh, I, I think I think we can safely say this is objective truth. Often a better story will naturally emerge from the results of the game. Not only is everybody having fun playing a game, but then afterwards you have a more satisfying, a more interesting story that everybody's more engaged in. Well, face it, I've in the years I've been playing, I have had at least 65 people play a character more than once in my campaign. They've all contributed. There's no way I'm smart enough to come up with it, the plots and stories that naturally emerged out of this. And that's that's the secret. Whenever I hear somebody saying, well, you know, I'm a dungeon master, I'm a storyteller, I gotta have my plot, my arc. I'm like, you're not smart enough. Nobody's smart enough for that. Nobody in the world's smart enough for that. Not that, but you, if you're doing the thing of, well, you know, we have a tragic death, like Sturm and Dragonland, so somebody's gonna have to die. Well, what if your players win? If you're, yeah. you know, what if your players win? What if, they, what if he doesn't die? What happens is just like in real life, I can tell you guys a story about how my wife and I met, fell in love and got married. It's a beautiful story. I've had grown women cry. They were so touched with how beautiful our romantic story was. When we were doing it, there was no arc. There was no rising action, no climax, no denouement. We were living our life. Two strangers just met each other. The narrative came later. Right. Yeah. 
the narrative came later when you when you go to the store and like oh i ran into this jerk karen and, and she was doing this stuff and yelling and screaming the manager came out you're like okay i gotta get to the aisle three in the next six minutes so i'm not gonna bump into the, this doesn't happen narrative comes out of play if you're trying to use play come out of narrative it's going to suck compared to what's going to happen naturally it's going to and sometimes it sucks hard compared to what happens naturally and it's it's better to think of it as a sport rather than a game or a story or sure. or if you're going to if you're going to look at it as something besides a, a game think of it as a sport and not a storytelling adventure because think about sports and sports journalism uh what does a sports writer need to do take the events what essentially was a, a game play of skill and chance right and craft a narrative after it correct you know you're that's gonna you're gonna read in the paper. i'm stealing that and using it from now and that's wonderful love it Perfect. just i love it that's it sports journalists take take that game and write a narrative afterwards you could and just you remember this is not just D D we're talking about. You have to have these concepts in every system. Superhero stuff, you know, anything, um, science fiction. This is this is a toolkit, this is a concept, this is a culture that makes role-playing games work best. And I say that with reservations because I don't like to use extreme language worst or best. But in my experience, the people that are doing this get the best results and the best experience over a long period of time, whether it's teenagers from outer space, bunnies in burrows, Call of Cthulhu, or D&D. Have an open world, have real time, have NPCs act independently, verisimilitude, and of course, you've got to fight status quo. And last but not least, when I started with the Psychotronic, Use genres to describe, not to prohibit. If it makes sense that a guy in a NASA spacesuit carrying a broadsword is going to be in the dungeon, put him there. Why not? I mean, I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing that, but I get what you're saying. Let me put it this way. Recently, my players, the next, well, they got something in the meantime. They found the tomb of the Elven Space King next to Miss, uh, Mission Control, deep in Skull Mountain. They just gotta go past the Guardians to figure out what that means. <laughs> and why not? Why? Well, I've actually got a plot that's really, really old that explains a lot about other stuff they don't know about. And once they figure it out, and indeed, I'll take a little sidetrack. Um, Nick, one of my players, has stated Originally, I thought that Skull Mountain was a big mega dungeon. And then I came to the conclusion the entire mountain range is part of Skull Mountain. Then the entire kingdom. After now having been to the moon, I'm convinced that everything is Skull Mountain. <laughs> everything is interconnected. There is no such thing as a non-connected plot. Everything is part of the whole. And it was really encouraging me because that's the goal with this psychotronic uh, outlook. Yes, everything, just like in real life. It's crazy how uh, things are interconnected in real life. You know, um, when I joined the Army the first day at my unit on the other side of the country, I walk in and said, go get your, go get your uh, information from Motorpool. I walked in, the first guy I talked to was a friend of mine from high school. 
Huh. What are the odds? And that's okay. I've got a better one for you. Sure. Here is something that is literally really true. And I will explain it to people off the air because it shouldn't be part of this podcast, but it's absolutely true that a girl cheated on her boyfriend. And because of that, Jeffrey Epstein got killed in a federal cell several years later. Right. The interconnections that happen. That's a perfect example. We're talking about Baron Samedi. Okay, so-and-so screwed up a contact other plane spell. 36 years later, you get the big bad. And that sort of stuff grows out of this sort of play. You get this combination of factors that no one person can ever be clever enough to invent. And it's more immersive. When your players know that what the characters do matter, they care. And they go on. When you're keeping track of, uh, I've got a one of my favorite, most popular blog posts. It's viewed constantly. Is if your torches burn for an hour and weigh one and a half pounds, your NPCs matter. And what I mean by that is, if your players understand, well, I've got to buy food and water. I got a place to sleep. I'm going to need light sources. And then you, they have to buy them, even if it's just a whole. You have to go into town, talk to the guy, and buy them. They realize that there's an infrastructure. They realize that there's interactions. Then those interactions have consequences. And then if they like, oh, I'm going to like burn the whole village and kill everybody for experience points. Okay. You're in the dungeon. Well, you don't, you, there's no food. There's no torches. And by the way, the patrols are after you. So you got to run for your life because you're not long out. They care. They want to be part of it. And frankly, when people are playing, I've got one character and I'm going to start at first level and we're going to have the same group. I'm going to go to 20th level and stop. They don't care. Not nearly as much because there's a lot less interaction. There's a lot less dynamism. They don't get to choose whatever they want. I was talking earlier about player agency. Here's the ultimate player agency. Dungeon Master looks at him. What do you guys want to do tonight? And it me and he means it. That's what I do. I, I've actually got a, I've got a patron. And for my patrons, I surreptitiously turned on a recorder and recorded my players in the post game planning for the next game. Wow. And everyone who listened to it, like, that was a revelation. I've never heard of anything like that. Why? I wasn't there to tell them what the next game was going to be or where it was going to be. I was there to answer any questions that made sense they'd know and take notes so I'd know who was coming. And they had every opportunity to change their mind in the meantime. But they were saying things like, you know, Jack, well, Seeker's the toughest of this thing, but he wouldn't want to be there. He's got other priorities. Or, uh, Jennifer, no, she wouldn't be interested in that mission. That doesn't match her personality. So-and-so should go, right? And they're talking about their own characters. It wasn't a discussion of who's got the plus three weapon, who's the best magic user. It was what team mix and matches, what matches their personality and alignments. That guy's got a bit of an extreme alignment for everyone else. And those two are actually having a feud. They're about to go to war with each other. And, and when they're done, like, we're going to be doing this next time. And they're telling me what they're doing next time. Mm. I love that. Uh, you, and you and don't always that get that. That is, you want, you know, player agency. That's, throw that word out the window. That's how you're supposed to be running D&D. That's how it's supposed to be working. It's supposed to be a big enough, broad enough, dynamic enough world, interconnected enough that can come along and say, 
you know, uh, we want to go to Japan land. What do you call it again? Oh, yeah, Yashima. Yeah, we want to go to the Far East. Okay, let's get ready. And we did. Out of the blue. Like, these guys just want to go to Japan. Okay, we can do that. And they're gone six game months at sea. We did a bunch of adventures in Yashima, my Japan land. They got a bunch of weird magic items. They got some um, Wu Jin and Bushi henchmen. Sailed back. Well, they're gone 16 game months. So those players, those characters had to sit out until the rest of the game world caught up with them. Because remember, strict timekeeping, one-to-one time. So they actually, in real life, missed out on nine, ten months of real-life gaming until everyone caught up with them. Wow. But I never told them there's stuff to do in Yashima. I never told them they could get Bushi or Wujin henchmen there. They're just like, we want to go to Yashima. Let's go. That is how you can do it if you're doing the psychotronic gaming. Just be open, accepting, and realizing that that dynamic creativity of your players is going to help you even make you do stuff you'd never do on your own, and certainly not that well. Yeah, it does remind me of the uh, of the olden days, getting getting together with the with the friends back in the early 90s when it was like yeah hey what do you, what, what are we doing this week yeah i'm gonna call up the dm and and i want to resolve this you know negotiation scenario uh real quick so that when we get to his house on saturday we can just skip to skip ahead uh you know that stuff used to happen i'm glad oh, that yeah, people are doing it well i'm really excited because it's been a while <clears throat> excuse me i didn't mean to cough there um when i started the campaign back in 79 it was a city with a king in it and across the river from the city was a good wizard's tower. And about six miles from there was a pirate cove and caves. That was it. Slowly but surely spread out. Right now, if you look at my map, it's actually on the, the website. It's on the blog. I've got a few other places. They've got the um, Independency of Eastford, the Duchy of Timberlake, the, the uh, Free City of Adrian, and the County of Akal, and Wyvern Keep. Those are all from PCs who domained. You made it to the name level, made it to me. So the expansion of civilization was all by PCs. Well, right now I've got uh, two player characters that are just about to hit domain level. And I cannot wait because they're already coming up with these crazy ideas. They're like, we're going to go past the mountains and start domaining on the other side of the mountains. Or, you know, we're going to... Uh, another one, this has kind of happened once, but one of the clerics is like, you know, can I take over that domain in the inside the... Mega Dungeon, because inside Skull Mountain, there's a cathedral with a lawful good archbishop in it. So when things are bad, you can go rest up and heal there if you know where it is and can get to it. So like maybe I could take that over. Maybe I can do something like that. Maybe we need another cathedral inside the mountain. Can I attract followers? You know, this dynamic sort of stuff's going on, and it's about to keep escalating uh, again. So. so I've got a couple of questions for you. Go. Um. I, I want to give DW a, a quick opportunity so I don't hog all the question time. Um, well, my general range of thought is uh, I want to drop some more generalization into here. Um, nope. That's not specifically my dad used to about say, everyone who makes a broad sweeping generalization is an idiot. Um, your dad never met me. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's a joke. Get it? Everyone I know. who makes a broad sweeping generalization is an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I got it. 
Um, just making sure. Just making sure. Uh, so I want to. People have been talking about applying one to one time um, to other games. So I want to start by because one to one time does not exist in a vacuum. Does there not. are some other gaming concepts and some other uh, ideas that go with it. So, and it's not just one to one time as a general thing. It's a specific kind of one-to-one time. So I want to start by nailing stuff down. Specifically, what one-to-one time means is one-to-one time for characters during character downtime. When your all characters... other things being equal, and that's and all the things being equal. If nothing else is going on, for example, uh, if you look at the example that Gary gives in the Dungeon Master's Guide, here, here's something that's going to catch up. I mentioned guys went to Yashima. They spent six game months at sea, a couple of game months there, six game months back on, 15 months. When I'm doing one-to-one time, they're not in one-to-one time. They're in the future. Right? Specifically traveling? Right. They're, they're traveling and stuff. And again, the difference, you know, uh, yeah. so Jeff and I do it slightly gotta differently. Let me... Go ahead. You got to let me finish. Go, go, go. Yes. <laughs> traveling, training researching, uh, making items, mm-hmm. anything that the game mechanics say, your character is going to be doing something, but as a player, you don't really have anything to do while your character's laboring away. That's one-to-one time. One, if your yes. character takes a week to do it, uh, it takes a week in the real world. If your character takes a month to do it, it, ta- it takes you a month in the real world and your character is unavailable for that month. So, because Go your character is unavailable for that month, the obviously the next concept for that is multiple characters for the same player. Correct. Because you have Makes to play a different sense. character while your other character is off doing whatever it is they're going to do. You're That's going to go right. doing other stuff, whatever that is. Now, this leads to the third concept. What this means is you're going to have characters dropping in and dropping out all the time. Constantly. Constantly. So what you're going to want to do is instead of playing the punctuated play style that we're used to because of modules, where you start a module that's a self-contained, predefined series of events, however they're set up and however well done they are. That's punctuated play. Um, There's probably a better term for that because even though punctuated is really clear and technical, there's probably a better term for that, but it's, you know, encapsulated play, same, uh you know packaged play beginning middle end that's one package packaged play um you're going to want to engage in continuous play for each session you start middle and end that's it you always have an ending point where characters can enter and leave for the next session 
Now, whether I that involves, almost exclusively, yeah. Whether that involves shifting focus to something else, mm-hmm. because you're going to say, "Oh, okay, so that party, well, we we can't really continue with them, uh, but we're you know half of them aren't going to be uh, around." Okay, so we're going to go move to a completely different party because those players aren't going to be available or most of those players aren't going to be available. Whatever. However you set it up, it's continuous play. There is no punctuation. There is no self-contained package. Each week, each session is its own, uh, its own little package and they're just stacked together continuously. So, one to one time for character downtime. Correct. Multiple characters per player and continuous play. Yep. Now, all of those lead to if I am doing this right, and I'm, I'm assembling these off the top of my head. I've been having these ideas sure, sure. since I talked to Jeffa last week. So I'm assembling these off the top of my head. This is an impromptu speech. So the last one. Um, is consequences, um, mm-hmm. or what Rick has called verisimilitude, and, and what I call is villain happy time. Um, Correct. <laughs> what consequences are, and I'm going to use my one of my favorite games is I love it when a villain has a plan. I love it when a villain's plan comes together. And that forms the backbone of most adventures. See, not having punctuated role-playing adventures is does not mean you can't have a villain with the plan. You should have villains with a plan. You should have villains who say, one, I get the MacGuffin. Two, I use the MacGuffin to raise an army of the dead. Three, I march the army of the dead down on the castle. Four, I destroy the king's army. Five, I crown myself the king of the new kingdom of the dead. Bingo. Villain's plan. But the players in an adventure get a chance to interfere with that. Maybe that's one module. Maybe that's like three modules. Maybe it's the Dragonlance, which had like, 16 modules, I think. Um, yeah, I think they I think they had 110 books and 18 modules in the end, yeah. 18 modules, okay. So here's how it works with continuous play. The players will hear some rumors, but they have absolute total freedom to choose to pay attention to those rumors or to get on a ship, and sail to the other end of the world. Sure, why wouldn't they? It's just that, and and at the end of last week's show, I said, yeah, I've got a question I need to ask Jeffro when we get off the air. And the question I asked Jeffro when we get off the air is, how do you deal with villain plans? So what I am giving you now is the information Jeffro gave me then. 
that secret question I alone asked, <laughs> and that information I garnered and harvested and held close to my vest, I am now sharing with you, because that's the kind of awesome host I am. <laughs> I asked Jeffro, how do you deal with villain plants? And the answer he gave me is this. If the players ignore the villain plans, not only do the villains win, that plan succeeds, but it is better for you and your campaign world if it does. It will change the map of your campaign world, and that is a good thing. For example, uh, I believe he said it was June's uh, multitude of new patrons and patron uh, interactions and stuff was all predicated on having people who will finally take hold of all these rumors and things that his players were ignoring and doing something with them. There was never supposed to be a giant goblin city near Trollopolis in Jeffro's campaign. But because the players had ignored the rumors leading up to dealing with that villain plan, it worked. Yep. And the goblins came in and set up a city. Boom. The players ignored the villain plan. There were some consequences. Now, these consequences, and I want to be very careful here. These are not intended to punish the players. They're not intended to say, see what you did? Bam, 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 with the newspaper right about the face like they were dogs. Bam, 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 rub the face of the mess on the carpet. See what you did? Bad players, bad players, bad players. That's not the point. The point is to make sure that this campaign world stays in motion, the verisimilitude Rick was talking about. Let the villain's plans proceed. If the heroes intervene on step three of the five-step plan I previously outlined, then let them intervene on step three and deal with it then. And yep. if they don't intervene at all, let the villain win. And now one of their neighboring kingdoms is the kingdom of the dead. And that'll change the campaign world. And that'll be for the good. That's Jeff Rowe's point. That's his insight. It will be for the better because things get more interesting. And I love that it's Jeff Rowe's insight, but this is the only way I saw this game played when I was a kid. This was the only way I ever experienced it being played in the 70s and early 80s was the way I run it. That's all I knew. So whenever so, whenever somebody whenever you talk to a, a new like a new school person who doesn't get it or or, or poo poos 
whatever's going on in in old school just and they say no one ever plays D&D like that you can be like i know a guy <laughs> so you know somebody i want to run through those four things again give you those four terms so you can write them down and understand they all four go together and i am of the opinion that they don't work without each other you can't use one without the uh, other it gets it gets clunky and, and messed up so yeah it's like the four cardinal virtues if you don't have all the virtues oh, you don't have any of the virtues sure um one-to-one -one time for character downtime multiple characters for each player to use during character other characters downtime um Dagnabbit. I wasn't taking notes, sorry. Status consequences. Enemy and consequences or very similar to. Consequences number four. Uh, you know, let the villain's plans just work out. Uh, now, I would disagree with you because you're saying consequences, I say status quo. I think that you have to also add in very similitude. I think that it has to be in there. And that's your campaign has to make sense internally. Even if it's got floating cloud islands or you can swim to the moon. And by the way, you can swim to one of the moons in Seaward. It's complicated. I, um, if it makes sense in universe, they'll buy in. You've got to have that internal logic. No matter how skewed that logic is, it has to hang together. Otherwise, people don't emotionally buy in because, well, I can't figure anything out. Uh, it has to be included, in my opinion. Can't remember what I said. Number three was it was so clear in my head. Somebody That's interrupted okay. me. Well, one, we'll, one we'll time, multiple players, status quo or consequences. Status quo is the number of consequences, in my opinion, verisimilitude. Yeah, I, I I don't remember. I don't remember what the. Oh, we'll listen to the about. podcast. And we'll fill it in later. <laughs> we'll fix it in post production. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I love it, and it sounds like. If I'm not mistaken, you're you're uh, you're oh. coining or using. Do you remember continuous role playing? That's the third continuous word. play. Don't use adventures per se. Continuous role play. Each session is self-contained, and at the end of each session, you've got to have room for players for characters to enter or leave. I'm a and little different. Like I said, I, I, I modified it because of my military experience. So sometimes I will do stop time in the middle of a dungeon. Yeah. Um, but it's rare. It's rare. Yeah. And, and, and these are not supposed to be absolute hard and fast, 100%, you know, rules. You're the game master. You've got to have some flexibility in specific situations. Yeah, flexibility. My, yeah. you know, my aunt's in the hospital. Okay, sure. We can figure that out. You know. um, um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Flexible. You know, you I understand it's flexibility. I'm not trying to make it seem like this is absolute rule, but uh, I did want to I do want to make it clear that these are the four things that I've been thinking of since I talked to no, Jeffro. Well, like Jeffro's coming in. Jeffro's coming in. He's he's mining this. He's getting it out in front of people. I was talking to John earlier. I am very encouraged. I think the next two years, our, the entire RPG community is going to get better. I think you're going to see 
a lot of people listening to this and talking about this and embracing this and moving forward. And it's going to be good for the, the, the uh, I have to say it, the community as a whole. I really well, do. Here's uh, the thing. I can see this working for a Call of Cthulhu campaign. These four sure. principles. There's no reason they could. I can see this working for, you know, a Shana Run campaign. Um, sure. Does? Uh, Bushido, Champions, um, yeah. Rollmaster, Traveler. I can say this because I use these principles for all the stuff that I run. And if you want to go through all the stuff that I've run for more than 10 or 12 sessions, that's about 55 systems. Um. I mean, so. even even my preferred game, which is an action movie game, which, you know, Die Hard is the game is adventure centric. Oh, sure. It's designed yeah. from the beginning to be an adventure centric game, not a plot centric. It's not a railroady game, but it's designed very much around punctuated play. That's core to even the mechanics of the game. Like literally written into the mechanics is the assumption that you're playing a punctuated uh, adventure game, like built around modules. Um, but but what I've been uh, pondering since I talked to Jeffro about it, and since I've seen him talking about this on uh, on Twitter um, and his blog is, well, how would this work with these principles and stuff? And I've been pulling it apart, pulling the game and these mechanics apart and seeing how it would work. Uh, and I'm still working on XP, but uh, yeah, these principles can add a whole lot. And what it adds most, I think, is player initiative. It turns oh, the initiative yeah. of fighting or choosing to fight back on the players. Absolutely, and in, in larger systems, like D and D, where, not, where our focus on just action, our focus is just on that. You actually get them a lot more. I'll say non-combat focused. I hear a lot of times, well, D and D is a combat game. Let's get rules about combat. Well, that's because you're playing it that way, and you're wrong. Um, AD and D has combat in it, but as Jeff or anyone else who's playing with playing D and D this way will tell you, when you've got multiple characters, you suddenly realize, man, I should run. <laughs> I'm going to run because I'm going to die and we'll bring back, you know, team a list or something and do this later. But that means they're doing stuff like, well, I'm going to build a level. I need to buy an in and you get all this play. Oh, I've got to find, I got to do training. I should get a, I should rent a room. I think one of the most amazing things that I saw occur with one, one time continuous play, multiple characters, very similar to consequences was this. We're in a dungeon with Lou Pulsifer who plays this exact same way. Well, like, uh, we run into this monster, and one of the PC players says, oh, that's an executioner's hood. He's like, how would your character know that? I'm like, how would my character, how would this character know that? So a group of four player characters started a school where you can come in and for money, take it lectures, right? So characters come in and like, I'm going to spend this much of my downtime and 50 gold pieces and get a lecture on a bunch of monsters, what they look like, what they're vulnerable to. We called the Astounding Lecture Series. <coughs> Lou thought we were insane. But here's what happens. About about nine months later, one of the players is like, oh, that's a, you know, that's a such and such. I got to get a heated wire and keep this throat leech from killing him. And Lou's like, how would your character do that? Look, I took the class. 
I took it on September 11th, uh, September 9th of last year. I paid 20 gold pieces. I know exactly what you did, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a consequence of multiple characters, continuous play, actions have consequences, on and on and on. We're like, hey, we got to start teaching each other how things work. And we did. You know, like, oh, we saw this new monster we've never seen it before. Get, write it down. You can get a speaker's fee at the school. Right? That's <laughs> how you know about it, right? And that's the sort of gonzo. That's what I'm talking about, psychotronic. Can you imagine somebody who's doing Dragon High saying, we should set up a school to teach people what we learned? No, of course. Why would you? But when, you're, when the players can literally do anything, the idea of we should start an academy and start teaching people how to fight a Gatoblopus makes perfectly good sense. And it's a ton of fun. Right? Uh, and and that's it's, the sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that gets players involved. Uh, I just, I love it. I love seeing players actually engaged in the world and thinking and just about, think about this. This is things. the antithesis. This is literally the antithesis of what you're seeing from Wizards of the Coast. This is the direct opposite of watching Critical Role. And heavens forfend, I've never watched Critical Role. If somebody's willing to pony up $500 in Bitcoin up front, I'll watch it once. But I'm betting money they don't do anything like this. No. And they're not encouraging or teaching people to do anything like this. This is the sort of stuff that I do honestly believe. Let's get this word out. Let's tell people what's going on in any system, it can really make everything better. When people realize that you can get the real deal, you'll stop hearing. I ran into this the other day. I was on Twitter. I said, oh, that's, you know, that's not how you, and like, well, there, uh, there's always been a lot of ways to play since the old days. I'm like, yeah, people do stuff wrong all the time. The existence of stickball does not mean the MLB stops having a rule book, right? Um, this stuff is fun. People like it. My campaign has not lasted for 42 years because people won't come back. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, along those lines, I have, a, I have some practical questions for you. I want, I want to turn to the practical uh, now that we've, Go. We've, we've gone over the theoretical. Uh, how, would you, how would you evangelize, for lack of a better word? How would you go to uh, a game store or set up a game session or something like that. And let's say you've got a group of players who either are new or only know D&D or role-playing through modern D&D. So you, let's say you've got a bunch of younger folks who um, love their anime and their, their comics and stuff. And they either, there's, there's a combination of, I just want to be entertained by this fun story and I want to play my cool this character I have imagined in my head. I want to I want to write that character on a character sheet and act out in in uh, in this adventure. How do you how sure. do you approach that situation? How do we how do we get the word out like we're actually going to play something different and I think you're going to like it. Well, I think that the, the concept these concepts here came from D&D, which makes sense. D&D invented the entire hobby, right? And it's a real solid foundation. When people say, why are people still playing D&D? Well, you should be asking that question seriously, not facetiously. And then you should be asking yourself, why aren't you playing AD&D if it's done all this and it's still around? These core principles, if I, I actually had this happen, I had a, a family that I know say, hey, I've got a couple kids 
want to play games. My daughter's really, really shy, but she's really into anime. I, I've been told that role-playing could help them come out with shop, bring them on over, uh, 11 to 17, and we played Champions. And I'm like, what do you want to play? She wanted to play a bunny girl. I talked to my children who know what this is. They told me what a bunny girl is. Um, and we said... <laughs> We set up a quick session where she could be a bunny girl. And she said, well, I want to do a bit of a backstory. Now, I don't necessarily do backstories in AD&D, but you have to do them. You have to do them in um, Champions. So she told me about it. I'm like, yeah, you can do that. So she's part of a secret spy organization of bunnies. And we just ran with it. But we did these rules of, well, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? And they caught on real quick. And in a very short order of time, um, not only were they like, well, we, we should play fifth edition like this because they were learning fifth edition from another guy. Like, yeah, you should play fifth edition like that. This stuff just works. And but the girl, by the way, is much older now and she's not shy anymore. RPGs are very good for that. It's a good safe spot for young people and nervous people or people who are a little different and neurodivergent, I think is the modern term, to have a safe space right? To learn social skills. This way of play is the best way to help them because they're free to make choices and there's consequences, but nobody's really dying. Nobody's really getting hurt. So you mm -hmm. see that people, these people do this sort of, it's a, it's a great place for them to do this. If you do a, oh, here's the next step and you've got to, well, you've got to charm this one particular NPC because the module says so. Uh, it gives them really anxious. They're like, well, what do you want to do? I want to do this. Okay. That really helps. But uh, this can just go over to any sort of system, any sort of the basic concepts go into any one. Um, I'm actually thinking of, don't shoot me, doing some actual play that I record with new people who have never played this way before, then heavily editing it so it's not a live play. It's a training sort of thing, right? 15, 16 minutes to 20 minutes of dialogue from the actual table and then a discussion of what's going on there and how it works. Uh, back and forth like that and just do a series of videos where you, I can explain to people, here's a practical way of doing it. Like I said, I did that surreptitious recording of a party getting ready for the next adventure. And it's only 45 seconds and I had a couple people like, that was transformative. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So just being exposed to the, especially the players. I'm a DM, Jeffro's a DM. We see it differently. I want to get the players out there and have some more of watching a player learn how to do this and what it means having experienced players like some of my current players i'm going to start doing some interviews with them the ones that aren't mic shy and get that out and and i think that of course geek gab you guys are amazingly popular i think that we can get this out there spread the word and really go back to what role-playing games were originally and i mean this two ways one this wonderful open system where people had the ability to do whatever they wanted. And two, it was very much, it exploded in popularity so fast <clears throat> because in a way, when you play like this, it's very evangelical. And I say this as a Catholic theologian, that is, I'm not talking about religious. What I mean is you can have more fun than you're having now. One of the dirty secrets about AD&D, and I was talking about this with Jeff Rose McCrew, the text of the day is, there's so much there. There's an amazing amount of information in that book. A lot of hints that work on any game system. And that, you know, Jeff Rose just discovered for the first time, a lot of people never read. Um, I'm actually, you know, more than willing, I'm going to be writing a bunch of stuff about stuff you didn't know. I actually did a post 
I believe yesterday on Gary solved murder hobos before they existed. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, AD&D, in the appendices, there's two pages of rules. And those two pages do two things. Make psionics make sense and make murder hobos impossible. But no one reads them. No one reads the rules. So I think that the evangelization is going to be a combination of getting Dungeon Masters talking about it, getting players talking about it, using podcasts, and also just writing more about what do the rules really say, you know, just getting it out there. And to be clear, you're you're suggesting using this in a variety of systems, even 5th edition. Even 5th edition. Listen, 5th edition, it's, a, it's an interesting game. It needs a little tweaking. It's not Dungeons & Dragons. You can see Dungeons & Dragons from there if you look close. But any role-playing system that is not really narrowly defined or has the sorts of mechanics of, I rolled X, so now Y must happen, even if nobody else wants it. There's a few games like that, like Donjon and a few others. I don't know if they'd ever work on those because I've never tried it with it too much. <clears throat> but yeah, if you get 5th edition, you sit down, you start playing it this way. It works great, and I'll tell you why. One of my sons has been running a 5th edition campaign for over two years, and it's a ton of fun. And we do the exact same thing. People have multiple characters. There's one-to-one -one time. Consequences matter. On and on and on is the same thing. And like, yeah, I don't like this mechanics necessarily, but it is a recognizable campaign that, of what I call psychotronic. It is a psychotronic campaign. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I think uh, I think we've hit the end uh, of the discussion for today. Let's wrap things up. I, uh, I'm Dan, what answer. else you got? I want to answer a question uh, I, from chat real quick. And there's one thing also I want to pass along before I forget. Go ahead. I actually have written a book about this. And that book is with my editor, and we hope to have it out soon. Uh, I'll get more details, but it's a combination of three things. One, it has a lot of discussion about literature and the history of literature and adventure fiction. Two, it has excerpts from stuff that... Uh, I think is very edifying and shows the definitions of adventure literature. And then it's a, at the end of each chapter is a series of this is how it affected my campaign. This is how it impacted my campaign. This is how you can add this to psychotronic gaming. As a matter of fact, I have a discussion of psychotronic gaming in the book. So when we get closer to uh, getting it to press, I'd love to come back on and talk in detail about the, the details I left out today. Oh, very interesting. Well, before we wrap up, Daddy Warpig, uh, what's the chat got going on? Um, there was a question. Earlier I said, if the villain doesn't get interrupted with, if the players don't investigate things, and he succeeds, just let him win. You don't do this to punish the players. Gosh, no, there no, was no, apparently no. some confusion in chat over who was punishing the players. I'm not saying that the villain is gonna try punishing the players. I'm saying you as the game master, don't let the villain win because you're punishing the players. You're yeah. not trying to tell them, oh, nobody's so mad, bad anybody. because you ignored yeah. my plot. You were so bad because you ignored my adventure hook. You were so bad as players because you ignored what I wanted to do. You're not trying to punish the players. All you're trying to do is set up 
consequences, that bad things will happen. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Your world is actually better for it. And I'm going to use an analogy. The, the villain's not winning because anyone's mad. The villain's winning because that's the plot. This, this reminds me, I was on Twitter the other day, this guy says, hey, listen, if, if you're at the bat, you're fighting the big bad and one of the players that everyone likes lays down his life to defeat him, let the big bad die. I'm like, no, that's wrong. If the big bad kills this guy and he kills the next guy, and he wipes out the party, the party that comes later is there to revenge their friends, save their bodies and raise them from the dead. You're not writing a book, right? I've had parties get TPK'd and another party has to go in there and try to find their bodies to bring them back to the dead and et cetera. And it makes it better. They didn't die because I was mad at them. They died because they bit off more than they can chew and it turned into great adventures for months and months more. The point of letting the villains win is to let your world feel real. So that verisimilitude, exactly. Exactly. Plans. The plans of the bad guys matter. There are consequences. Well, not that, but you want to talk about emotional investment? I have an NPC I've used twice. Once in with loopholes for and once with my current players. Starbinder. Third level dude, but he's clever. He knows charm person and forget. And he can so he would go in and charm one of the henchmen. That for, how the guy forget he charmed him work his way in, he get hired as a he would rob the players, right? He's posing as a spearman or a cook. They go in the dungeon, come out with treasure, they go back in the dungeon, come out with treasure, they're like, where'd all the money go? I don't know. And this went on, and they eventually figured it out, and he was just clever and always got away. He's not dangerous. He's not trying to take over the world. You have never seen players so actually real-world furious as when this guy got away from him three or four times. Lou Pulsifer was so mad about this that they caught him, they cut off his head, burned him separately, buried the ashes separately so he couldn't come back because they were mad, right? I wasn't doing that to punish them. I was doing that to, simply because this low-level con man villain was like, these guys aren't vetting any of their hiring, hirelings. I'm just going to slip in there and rob them blind. It's not punishment. That's fun. That's, you know, that's how it works. So... The, the point of what I'm saying uh, is that this is not punitive. Nope. Um, and as game masters, again, we talked about this two weeks ago on the show that led to Jeffro show, which led to this show. The more... The effect consequences there are the more your players engage with the game world as if it were real the more real the game world seems to them and the more real they act like it is the more challenges there are the more real the game world seems to them and they're forced just to survive, just to play the game, just to win the game, well, however they define winning. And that's the benefit of role-playing games is you get, divine, you get to define what winning is for you and your character. But 
the more challenges there are, the more they have to grapple with the game world as if it were real. Because they have exactly. forced, they're forced to utilize every bit of resources they have. And so they have to think, okay, you know what resources would be available to my character in this situation? And they start thinking, okay, not just in terms of magic items or, or you know, what's on their character sheet, but they start thinking, okay, well, let's go to the woods. We can chop down these trees for ourselves. We can get the wood. We can build this thing. And, and all of a sudden, not because they want to be actors in a play, not because they want to be emulating critical roles, but because they're forced to, to play and win the game, they engage with the world as if it were real. They engage with the world and they feel like they're in this fictional world. And that's the entire point of the hobby. So- And you nailed it right there. You just nailed it right there. What you said, you said, that's how they win. That's exactly right. That's how the players and the DM quote unquote win at role-playing. That's how you win at D&D. We're fully engaged emotionally, intellectually, and in the game mechanics, we're having fun and it's growing naturally. You want to learn how to win at RPGs? Do this. So by sanding away challenges, by sanding away rough spots, by getting rid of things that seem to be there just as annoyances, like encumbrance, like counting ammunition, like keeping track of light and water and food. What you are really doing is getting rid of the challenges that make the world seem real. You're getting rid exactly. of the challenges that force players to treat the world as if it was real and it seems less real and they don't engage with the world as if it was real and they're taken out of the world. You're excellent summary. It's an excellent summary. You're defeating the point of role play. No. Yeah, you're actually making them not role play. I don't want your role play. When you say no race has class limits, no alignment limits, don't worry about encumbrance, don't worry about ammo, don't worry about food. What you're actually saying is don't role play. Um so Again, I, that I'm, was my thesis from two weeks ago. Yeah, I would. I want to. I want to. I want to second that. I'd love to. I'm. I'm going to repeat that again. When you take away those aforementioned mechanics, you take away mechanics that make the world seem real and force the players to interact with the game that, as if it were a real world. And so you t actually take away opportunities and the ability to do proper role playing. I love that summary. Daddy Warpig, you have won the internet for today. Um, <laughs> you absolutely have. That was lovely. That was a perfect summary. I loved it. Um, I've had a great, and by the way, guys, I personally do have to go soon, but I love being on. I always enjoy coming on. Thanks for having me again. It really means a lot. Uh, it's, it's It's been a pleasure. I, I think we have uh, run out of topics. Daddy Warpig, anything else before we wrap it up? No, I'm I got I'm good. 
that, that was awesome. I do have one more thing. I, I failed to mention this earlier when we were talking about the theory. If you're looking to read more about Rick Stump and what he's doing, harbingergames.blogspot.com. If you want to talk to other people besides, uh, there are other people besides Rick and Jeffro who are spreading the word and us. Um, in particular, I'm going to call out friend of the show, Bradford Walker. Bradford Walker, after uh, Jeffro's How'd you put it? Self-aggrandizing rant uh, yes. last week. Um, Bradford also did an excellent synthesis of um, the ideas and topics that we talked about last week and we talked about today. BradfordCWalker.blogspot.com. Um, I'm not going to read any of it on the air. Just go check it out. Uh, Brad and Bradford's particular perspective on it includes the business of the hobby he's he's always had a, his eye on the business of the hobby what makes wizards of the coast do what it does how do you get more people to get these these products i highly recommend that so um enjoy these resources share them um someone in chat mentioned john mollison i guess for third week in a row if you love learning about the wargaming aspect of it john mollison's perspective is joy of wargaming um, uh, we, I think we're all settling on the same thesis, but, uh, everybody's perspective is, is slightly different and it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I encourage you to check those things out. Um, uh, Rick Stump, uh, personally like, to thank you for hanging on today. Any last plugs that I missed before we call it? Uh, Oops. do you want to drop links to, uh, Mollison and uh, Walker. Uh, Great yeah, idea. Yeah, I'll make I'll make sure they're in yeah. the show notes. Oh, and Jeffro too. Put it into Jeffro's space blog. It should be in there too. We'll do. All right. Well, uh, then then if that's all, uh, I'll I'll say my piece. I'm not gonna do a full call out on chat. Chat was awesome today. Everybody's really passionate about this topic and gaming, and uh, and finding out uh, all these things that have been unearthed. Uh, great guest. Uh, always fun hanging out and listening to the Daddy Warpig rant. It's been a great show for me, um, and I hope everybody listening later enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, and that's me for this week, Daddy Warpig. All right. I want to thank everyone who came and listened live and participated in chat, and I want to thank everybody who will listen later. Again, you can get, listen to the show about the same time every week on youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab. You can also get us on the Google Play Store, soundcloud.com, and the Apple iTunes Store. And we are still looking into getting us up on amazon.com, but that is not happening yet. Please! Not yet. We'll get it done hopefully soon. Um, and uh, I just want to say, folks, thanks for uh, listening to the show. We uh, hope to have some awesome and amazing stuff for you next week. Because really, don't we always? Thanks for tuning in. We are signing off for today. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.